Today, on Commitment to Truth. You can rest assured, you live long enough, you serve God long enough, you're going to be in a wrestling match with God. The only way that you're going to navigate dysfunction, the only way that you're going to be able to get through all the sin garbage that your family, your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your uncle, your great-grandparents, and everyone who's dead and gone, you must wrestle with God. Heroes are willing to be broken. They're willing to lose with God. They're willing to let God be God and you be man. You see, when you lose with God, you win in every other area in your life. And that's what heroes understand is that it's okay. That's what heroes understand. Welcome to Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. Each week, Pastor Cedric Brown and the pastoral team at Commitment Church strive to draw you into a deeper relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This week, we'll be starting a sermon series called Heroes. We'll learn from the biblical heroes of the past found in Hebrews 11, and by faith, to encourage you to become today's heroes of the faith. Here is Pastor Cedric, lead pastor of Commitment Church, with today's message. What I'd like to do is take you on a journey in uh, Jacob's life. Jacob's life today. He's our next hero on deck. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 21-ish, it says this. Just to lay the foundation of who Jacob is, and we'll go deeper into who he is with some other scripture. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and the one who had received the promises was offering up his only son. It was he to whom it was said, Through Isaac your descendants shall be named. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received him back as a type, type of Christ. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. Jacob, who is he? Well, first of all, he is the son of Isaac. He is also the fraternal or the dizagotic twin of Esau. Fraternal twins of Esau. He also had a name change. If you look at Genesis chapter 25, verses 21 through 26, it says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife, because he was unable to have children. And the Lord answered them, and his wife, Rebekah, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is so, why am I in this condition? And ladies who've been pregnant, you, you kind of understand this, right? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two people will separate from your body, and one people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. When her days leading to the delivery were at an end, behold, there were twins in her womb. Verse 25. Again, this is Genesis 25. Now the first came out red all over like a hairy garment. That's, I guess every children are beautiful to the mom, right? <laughs> Whenever I read that, I'm like, dang, he must have been like really hairy. <laughs> and they named him Esau. 
It says, after his brother came out uh, with his hand holding onto Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob, which means he that supplanted or followeth, but some even calls him the hill catcher. Jacob's name was eventually changed. If you look at Genesis chapter 35, verses 9 through 10, it says, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padah Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel should be your name. So he called him Israel, which means this. He striveth with God. So apparently at one time, uh, he wasn't striving with God, but he was about supplanting Esau and catching his heel, etc. Or also means to rule with God. Now better uh, defined or more publicly defined or recognized is that East, uh, excuse me, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, which is recognized as the entire body of Jacob's descendants, which we get the 12 tribes of Israel. Make sense? All right. That being said. What's Jacob's connection now to Christ, which is so important. When you look at Old Testament, what's the, what's the Christology? What is Christ's connection to the Old Testament? And it is this. Look at Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. The record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham fathered Isaac. Isaac fathered Jacob. Jacob father Judah and his brothers. So Jacob was one of the tribes. Okay. Um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Lineage begins through, right? But then listen to Revelations chapter 5 verse 5. Stop weeping. Behold the lion that is from the tribe of whom? The root of David has overcome so as to be able to open the scroll, its seven seals. Guess who that is? Christ, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Makes sense. So the lineage of Christ you find connected to Jacob. It's amazing, right? And not to mention you look at Revelations, which ultimately is our victorious uh, end, here's Christ again, the lion of whom? Judah. It's just not a fictitious name. It's a historical name. It's a name that was established through the lineage of whom? Jacob. Makes sense. So that's Christ. Now, real quickly, again, you, you're with me? We're covering a lot of territory here real quickly. Now, the next question we want to answer is this. What then makes Jacob so much like you and me? <laughs> Genesis chapter 5 verse 27 and 28 helps us begin to understand. Genesis 25 verse 27 and 28. It says, When the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and a man of the field. But Jacob was a civilized man, <laughs> living in tents. Now Esau, pardon me, now Isaac loved Esau because he had a taste for game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So right away you see something beginning to emerge. 
I call this, like unto us, family dysfunction or dysfunctional family. Right away, you see one parent like one child and the other parent like the other child. Sound familiar? Now, I'm of the thought that no one should be the fairy, favorite, period. Amen. Period. Now, here, here's the challenge. One will have an affinity towards someone, you, the one child. You know why? Because it's easier. That's all it is. It's like, well, it's easier with this child because this child doesn't push back on me, so I like that child a little bit more. No, you just don't want to deal with that child. That's all it is. So at the end of the, at the, end of the day, one, a parent must always wrestle with their heart to, to not be bent toward child, towards the child because it's easier with that child. Because trust me, that child who is easy also is a sinner. They just slicker. That's all it is. Right? So there has to be this propensity of a parent on the inside to not choose one, for, one uh, towards another. But you see it clearly begin to develop. But then you also see uh, some other dysfunction that you look at now in Genesis chapter 37. 37 verses 18 and 20. 18 through 20. When they saw him from a distance and before he came closer to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer, meaning Joseph, now then come and let's kill him and throw him into one of the pits and we will say a vicious animal devoured him, then we will see what will come of his dreams. Now I encourage you to go back, read the whole account of Joseph and his brothers and it's fascinating, some of you already know it. But then you now have this dysfunctionality in Jacob's family that starts with what? Mom and dad, then now it leads to what? His children. Jealousy. Mm, sound familiar? Typically, the older siblings are jealous of the younger siblings. You know why? Because you get away with more. And listen, you have 12 children. Actually, uh, uh, Joseph was number 11. So, by the time you get to 11 children, it's like, you know, just do whatever you want to do, however you want to do it. I'm just tired. Right? You know, it's just like, you could just run the house if you like, you know? It doesn't make it right, but normally fatigue sets in and the younger child gets away with more. And typically the older children are like, I can't believe it. He's making him a wonderful coat. And, uh, you know, he's getting everything. We couldn't afford a coat. I had to make my own coat. You know, you know we had to use a hand-me-down coat. I can't believe he got a brand new coat. Right? So you got all this, this family dysfunction that really sounds like our families. Right? This family dysfunction then leads to what I call a strategic deception. Jacob began to become strategically deceptive. And for the sake of time, I won't take you there, but if you look at uh, chapter 25, verses 29 through 33, you see Jacob begins to prey on his brother's weaknesses. Apparently, he was out in the field working hard. And most guys who are out in the field working hard and really doing hard work, right? They're hungry. They come home hungry, like, I'm ready to eat. You know, where's the food? So similarly, I'm sure that that's what happened to, 
to Jacob as he was in the house chilling with mama, right? Uh, his brother Esau was out there plowing the fields and etc., hungry, and he prayed on that. He says, first sell me your birthright, then I'll give you something to eat. I mean, birthright, food. And then eventually gets away with it. If you look at chapter 7, verses 34 through 36, this is what Isaac said to Esau who came in afterward, after there was this plot to ultimately uh, take his, his, his birthright and the blessing from his dad, right? And he disguised himself to be hairy like his brother. This is what his father said. Your brother Jacob came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. At the end of the day, guess what? He got his way. He was so strategic in his deception that he got his way. But here's the reality. When a person in a family begins to be strategic in their deception and ultimately their sin, you know what leads to? Here's the third point of how it's so much like us. One has to now begin to know how to navigate the generational decisions that were made. What could call a generational sin? Because my grandpa and grandmom did it. Now my parents did it. Now I find myself doing it. But yet I have this encounter with God and now I have to learn how to do it, navigate all this garbage and all this fruit, negative fruit, that's come from all that sin throughout our family. And now let's be honest, it happens in Christian families uh, I'm sure your family, like my family, have secrets. Some you don't even know about. But it's left to you and I to know how to navigate through them. That's the reality. So you look at, again, we won't go there, but look at chapter 20, 27, verses 11 through 19. This is how some of the ways he had to navigate it. Verse 13. All of this stuff started out with his, Jacob's grandparents, and now he and his mother are now plotting to take something that was for his older brother, even by minutes. He says, his mother said to him, your curse, mom is even saying it's going to be a curse. Your curse will be on my, will be on me, my son. Only obey my voice. Hmm. Just do what mama says. Be a mama's boy. Just be a mama's boy. And just do what mama said. Just do what mommy said. Mommy kiss the boo-boo. Mommy will fix it. Right? And she already knows. Guess what? There's going to be issues that come along down the way because it's a decision that we are both about to make. But just let mommy take care of it. Then if you look at chapter 29, verses 20 to 33, Jacob was deceived then by his father-in-law. Remember the story? Some of you may know it. In verses 20 to 23, Jacob then served Laban, his father-in-law, for seven years for his wonderful wife, Rachel. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man soweth, that's what you also shall reap. 
you sow in the flesh, you reap destruction. You sow spiritual thing, you reap eternal life. So this begins to happen in chapter 29, again, of Genesis. There's this deceptive acting and behavior that now is imposed on him from his father-in-law. To a point, this is how deep and grotesque sin can become. Then in verse 23, then Laban, late in the evening when he was about to, you know, have relations with his wife, he thought, he then sneaks in Leah, his other daughter. Now keep in mind, he didn't kind of know how his new wife felt. You follow me? Because he wouldn't be able to touch her. So you may say, well, how did that happen? Well, he didn't know. It was dark. She comes in. He's thinking that, oh, this is my bride. They do what they do. Then chapter 37, verses 18 through 36. Jacob then was deceived by his sons. Remember the story? Throw his, his son, Joseph, in a pit. They come back, oh, by the way, a wild animal just, he ate him alive. Here's blood that's <laughs> on this wonderful coat that you make him. So deception after deception after deception. And then, unfortunately, you look even in, in chapter 38, verses 12 through 19, Judah, believe it or not, who's also the lineage of Christ. Remember you learned that? Was deceived by Tamar, his daughter-in-law. It's like, Christ's lineage is some garbage in there. But yet, they were heroes. Yes, Jacob's family was dysfunctional. He lived a life of deception, and he had to learn how to navigate these consequences. But nevertheless, guess what? He was listed in the Hall of Faith. Thank you for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We'll continue with the second part of the message right after this. Hello, my name is Norberto Colon Jr. and I'm a ministry leader for the worship ministry at Commitment Church, a place for all nations. I would like to personally invite you to come to one of our events this month. For the latest events, you can visit commitmentchurch.org events. And if you and your family are looking for a church, we're here on Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Thank you again for joining us for today's message from Commitment to Truth. We now return for the second half of our message. But what can we learn from his life that can ultimately allow us to start living like heroes? If you can now open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32 verses 24 through 28. We'll look at these more in depth. Here's about three lifestyle adjustments I want to encourage you to make so that you can begin to live like heroes. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip. And the socket of Jacob's hip was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Verse, thir- verse 26 in chapter 32. Then he said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name should no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have contended with God and with men and have prevailed. Here's the first. 
Heroes are not afraid to wrestle alone. 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 One thing is for sure is that if you are going to become a hero, you're going to have to wrestle with God. You see, where it says Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak, this is called in theological terms a Christophany, a pre-incarnation of Christ before he came incarnated in the flesh. Abraham had the same experience. So his wrestle wasn't with man, but his wrestle was with whom? God. You can rest assured, you live long enough, you serve God long enough, you're going to be in a wrestling match with God. It's going to be a wrestling match for your soul, for your mind, for your future, in your past. You're going to wrestle, you're going to wrestle, you're going to tussle, you're going to tussle. The word alone means this, to be apart, to be by itself. You must be by yourself with God to deal with you. The only way that you're going to navigate dysfunction, the only way that you're going to be able to get through all the sin garbage that your family, your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother, your uncle, your great grandparents, and everyone who's dead and gone, the only way you're going to have to navigate, learn to navigate is you must wrestle with God. Now, second point is this. In verse 25, you're going to lose. <laughs> in other words heroes are willing to be broken heroes are willing to be broken they're willing to lose with God they're willing to let God be God and you be man you see when you lose with God you win in every other area in your life and that's what heroes understand is that it's okay break me mold me shape me it's okay. That's what heroes understand. He says he touched the socket of his hip and the socket of Jacob's was dislocated. It was broken. The word touch means to be defeated. We need to let him defeat us. You see, everything in us and everything that we're taught is like, no, no, don't lose, don't lose. You got to win, you got to win. And you realize that's one of the biggest problems in relationships. The kids want to win against the parents. The parents want to win against the kids. The wife want to win against the husband. The husband wants to win against the... It's just like everybody wants to win. But you know, if you want to stay in that marriage long enough and allow it to be successful, you're going to lose. In other words, you must allow him to defeat you, meaning God. God must defeat you so you can love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave his very life for her. The only way you're going to honor and submit to your own husband when he don't deserve it, God must win. It's the only way that a parent can be able to navigate, listen, a, 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 the dysfunctionality of a rebellious child. You can't strong arm your child. Trust me. They're going to get old, old enough and you, they're going to strong arm you. So there has to be this willingness to say, God, I'm willing for you to break me as a parent. Especially dads, as the scripture reminds us, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. 
Didn't say that to mom because mom gets passes every now and then. Dads don't. We just don't. That's the cost of leadership. Dads don't get passes. The president of a corporation doesn't get passes. The CEO doesn't get passes. When you make a mistake, you toast. <laughs> That's just a part of it. So as, as, as leaders and as influencers and people, we need him to defeat us. Touch me, defeat me. It also, the word dislocated means to be aligned and to be executed. So Lord, defeat me so I can be aligned with you. Remember what Israel means? To strive with God. Defeat me, change my name so I can strive with you. Jacob was completely broken. And even during this, this tension, because he was so afraid of his brother Esau for what he's done, God had to break him first before he was able to be reconciled to his brother Esau. Sounds familiar in life. Heroes are not afraid to wrestle alone. Heroes are not afraid to be broken or be touched by God. And lastly, we see in verse 26 and 28, heroes never let go until their identity is changed. I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. You see, blessing with God is not as shallow as, okay, God, I'm going to press in and I'm going I'm I'm to wrestle with you until you give me more money. I'm going to wrestle with you until you give me that house, God, until you give me that new car. You know, I'm going to wrestle with you until I go on that dream vacation, God. No, I'm going to wrestle with you until I'm no longer myself. Until my name is changed. Until I begin to strive with you. Until generations come from my loins who follow you. The words let go means this, to send off our way. God, I will never send you away. Listen, when God knocks on your door, you should not send him away. When he's coming like a flood and all hell is breaking loose, right? He's trying to just dislocate your hip. That's all he's trying to do. He's trying to just align you with him. That's all he's doing. The word bless me means to cause to kneel and bestow a blessing. Again, historically, that was the posture that was necessary before you received the blessing. You kneeled. You humbled yourself. It's humility. Humility is just a correct estimate of yourself. He's God, I'm not. He's all powerful, I'm not. He's all knowing, I'm not. Doesn't mean you're weak. It's power under control. Three life adjustments. Don't be afraid to wrestle alone with God. Sometimes he'll wake you up in the middle of the night. No, he doesn't me. Don't 
avoid it. You may get emotional. You may get deep, may get scary. You may start uncovering a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. Don't avoid it. Because it leads to a brokenness or being touched by Christ. And being touched by Christ, listen, and, and in game, he's going to change your identity. Make you more like himself. Align you and everything about you with him. And that's why we're in this game called Christianity. Little Christ. That's what Christian means. I want to be more like Christ. And if that's not your goal, let me end with this. During surgery, there was a, a young nurse who um, was a inexperienced nurse. It was her first time in surgery with this very skillful, experienced, respected surgeon. And uh, the doctor uh, was about to sew the patient up, and the nurse said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait, stop, stop, you can't sew, sew the patient up. There's only 11 sponges. In other words, that nurse is responsible to count the sponges, some of you know who are in the medical field, to make sure all the sponges he put in them came out of them. And the doctor says, no, no, no. You, you, we're going to sew him up right now. We're going to suture him right now. And the nurse said, no, doctor, you can't because I only have 11 sponges. There's 12 sponges we put in them. And this is what the doctor said. After the nurse said this, you can't do that because you got to think of the patient. Nurse was emphatic about this. So the surgeon smiled, lifted up his foot. And then showed the nurse the 12th sponge. And he says, you'll do. She, she was willing to push back on this experienced surgeon and says, no, you don't get it. I don't care how experienced you are. We put 12 sponges in that person's body. And we are so concerned about that that person on the operating table that I'm going to oppose you and wrestle with you until we count for 12 sponges. You see, here's the deal. When the surgeon, surgeon knew that this nurse was so committed to protect the life of that patient, he says, you'll do. Our challenge is the same as followers of Jesus Christ. Because at the end of the day, we must wrestle with him and wrestle with him until the 12th sponge is found. You see, right now, you probably can only locate about 10 of them. Some seven, some six, because you haven't really wrestled and fleshed it out with God. But we are required to wrestle with him until the 12th sponge is found. And the promise of this is this. When you wrestle with him, it will take brokenness. It will take this willingness to be touched by Jesus.
Nobody else is going to see it but you and him. You see, there was nobody else in, in, the, in the ring or there was no spectators around the wrestling match between Jacob and Christ. That's, what, that's how God does his work. When you buy, himself, buy yourself with him, everybody sleep, you're driving in a car by yourself, you're taking a shower by yourself, and before you know it, there's more water coming out of your eyeballs than there is out of the shower head. Because that's the way he does it. Wrestle with them until you're broken and the result will be a blessing that will last for generations. Amen. Hello, my name is Sarah Vega and I am the Administrative and Executive Director here at Commitment Church. I hope you've enjoyed today's message by Pastor Cedric Brown. If you didn't know, Pastor Cedric also sends out encouraging videos weekly. We call these the Weekly Wire. We can send these encouraging videos directly to you by subscribing at www.loveallnations.org. Here's an example of the encouragement you'll receive. You can find trustworthy people. Look around you. We see politicians, of course. Many of them are not trustworthy. We find businessmen and women who are not trustworthy. We find family and friends who are not trustworthy. But who can really find a trustworthy man or woman? Well, there's a Bible verse that says this. Many men proclaim their loyalty, but who can find a trustworthy man? My hope today is this, is that this simple reminder would encourage you to be found trustworthy. You see, there's another Bible verse that says this, let your yes be yes and your no be no. If you say you're gonna be somewhere at a certain time, well, it means yes, be there. If you say you can't, well, you can't. Your yes is yes, your no is no. You are who you are behind the scenes as you are in front of others. Can we be sure together collectively that we can be that trustworthy man or woman, that trustworthy person that our yes is yes and our no is no. We hope you enjoyed the sample of our Weekly Wire. Again, to subscribe to your weekly inspiration, refreshment, and encouragement, please visit www.loveallnations.org. Thank you again for listening to our series, From Commitment to Truth, the teaching ministry of Commitment Church, a place for all nations. If you want to listen to the previous messages in this series, or if you want to hear messages from other series, visit Commitment Church on YouTube or Pastor Cedric Brown on Spotify, Pandora, or other podcast providers. You can also visit us on our website, commitmentchurch.org. And if you live in the Philadelphia, Delaware, or South Jersey area, we would love to see you in person as well. You can attend any of our services by visiting us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. Thank you again for listening, and have a blessed and wonderful day.